Have you ever read someone else's mail before? Not in the federal crime sort of way, <laughs> but as a genre, maybe. When I'm really into an author, I love to find the published volumes of their collections of personal letters. It's one-sided because you only see what they've written, but I, I, I love to see the person who's behind the ideas, their motivations, their inner workings, their relationships. It's a, it feels a little creepy to admit it, even though it's a well-known genre. I mean, this idea of reading other people's mail has this voyeuristic quality about it. And when you ask someone if you can publish their letters, um, they usually say something like, over their dead bodies, literally. Like, these things only come out posthumously. But every Sunday, we sit here and listen to stretches of the Bible, Old Testament, the Gospel, a psalm, and a letter. Nearly every Sunday, we have a piece of someone else's mail and Paul's answer to it. We get to hear his thoughts, learn the names of his friends, glimpse his affections, witness his anger sometimes. And today we have the earliest written letter of Paul to a group of folks in Thessalonica. Today, what you heard is the earliest words, are the earliest words of our Christian heritage and communications. Paul, Silvanus, and Timothy, to the church of the Thessalonians, in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, grace to you and peace. Grace to you and peace. First Thessalonians was written around 51 AD. We've been handing it down to each other ever since then, this piece of writing. And you know, as you've read and studied around this place, that this means that our first Christian writing is about 20 years after the crucifixion and resurrection of Christ. And yes, we do make a big show every Sunday of parading the gospel out and proclaiming it there, but Mark, who is the earliest gospel, wouldn't be written for at least another 10 years or so. And Luke and Acts for maybe another 20 when I first began reading Paul's letters as a teenager, in my mind I read the first letter of Paul to Amber Carswell. It's not a bad way to read it. It's better than not reading it at all. And it was even the suggested way by the pastor of the church I was at. I would read and mark and inwardly digest the passages about being joyful always, praying continually, giving thanks in all circumstances. Good advice. And these are also Thessalonians passages. But the letter of Paul to Amber Carswell fell short when I had no idea what to do when Paul would tell me something arbitrary, like to cover my head as a woman, or something bizarre, like why should I care about avoiding eating meat from strangled animals and how would I even know? My parents were puzzled by the question. And something, or if he told me something I thought downright wrong, like what in the world did he mean about baptizing living people on behalf of the dead people? Because Paul just says it like this, 
Like, this Sunday we'll have a sermon and the Eucharist and Spanish omelets at coffee hour, and then we'll baptize a few folks on behalf of their dead ancestors who were never able to accept Christ. Like, it's just a total normal gathering of the church. So what, it, what do you do when you read other people's mail? Because the hard part of deciphering Paul's advice is figuring out what the question even was. If you read one side of a Dear Abby advice column, for instance, and you only see her advice of follow the admonition of your elders, we would think her advice sound if your uncle was teaching you to be polite, but not so much if your uncle was asking you to invest in his latest lucrative pyramid scheme. <laughs> but the mail from the church in Thessalonica was from a small, isolated community of Christians. You can't, you and I, can't get away from Christianity in the South if you tried. But these Christians were a minority, about 1,500 miles away from Jerusalem. Beleaguered, outnumbered, shunned, outcasts, powerless. And Paul, their leader, had been run out of town from there. But they have this ray of hope that they're clinging to. Jesus died and was raised and in that had conquered death. Nobody was exactly sure what that meant at first, though it lit them up. They had to figure it out with each other, with their minds, with the Hebrew scriptures, with prayer. And they had a lot to figure out. There were no creeds, no councils, no confirmation classes. St. Thomas Aquinas' Summa Theologica didn't fall from the sky. Probably the better, because those tomes could do some serious damage with any sort of velocity. But while they were reasoning together, they trusted this. Christ had died, Christ had risen, and Christ would come again. They were ready and attentive, lamps lit with the oil of good works. But when was it going to happen? Days passed into months, into years, decades. And the strangest thing kept happening. People got old, and they died. Their friends, their family members. That wasn't expected. It wasn't a part of the plan. Christ was to return and save them from this. Dear Paul, we have kept the faith and gladly faced persecution. You told us death was defeated, right? Now what's happening to these people? We weren't supposed to be separated like this, not anymore. Dear Paul, Christ will come again, but it's too late. We, keep, we believers keep dying, and not in some glorious, ironclad martyrdom. What is happening to them? Where are they now? Dear Paul, we're doing our best, but I wouldn't describe anything around us as something that looks like victory. It looks like suffering. We have claimed Christ and found ourselves poor. We have forsaken the empire and found ourselves emptied. Paul, Silvanus, and Timothy, to the church of the Thessalonians and God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, grace to you and peace. We always give thanks to God for all of you. You're always in our prayers, constantly remembering your work of faith and labor of love and steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ.
Thessalonians, we became imitators of the Lord, and you became imitators of us. And now, people are imitating you. No existence is free of imitation. Imitation is the result of desire, and we all have it. It is only a matter of what or who it is that we imitate. It's most often our neighbors. We begin to desire the same objects they desire. And this is the root of comparison, competition, rivalry. You are being saved from this in your imitation of Christ. The deaths that you experience in life, the actual ones, the small ones, this is the path of self-emptying that is exactly hollowing you out in order to help you echo out the word of the Lord beyond your own existence. Your imitation of Christ will continue in death. Look, Thessalonians, it's only the dead who can be raised from the dead. Here ends the letter of Paul to the Thessalonians, to Amber Carswell, to you too.